0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want To Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Dan on who is a zookeeper from Australia. Hi Dan, how are you?
1: Hello, thanks for having me on.
0: Pleasure. Uh, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do, Dan?
1: Yeah, I, a lot of people think I've got the best job in the world. <laughs> I'm, very, <laughs> I'm very lucky to spend my days working with animals. Now I'm a bit of a, uh, I guess, I'm pretty obsessed with reptiles in general. Uh, And then I thought about turning that into a career. And I've been very lucky to, I guess, live kind of that dream life. And uh, I've been in zoos for a number of years now. I'm I'm a reptile keeper, um, passionate conservationist. And yeah, I've been able to do some incredible things, meet some incredible people. But most of all, uh, spend my days working with amazing animals. And that could be anything from, you know, small little turtles to some of the world's most venomous snakes to crocodiles and giant Galapagos tortoises. So yes, I'm very lucky.
0: That's very cool. I'm, I'm a big animal lover, and so are you, Jules, I think. And um, I remember growing up watching people like Steve Irwin, you know, um, do the whole, the whole zookeeper thing and conservation thing. So where did that love for you come from?
1: I was very lucky. i guide a little bit as a young fellow. My parents both were, I guess, animal people. Uh, my dad kept a lot of birds, and my mum did be different, like raising mammals, possums, kangaroos, et cetera. Uh, and then, obviously, growing up, Oh, I love Steve Irwin too. I watched all of his videos, everything the, from the movies to the weekly shows. I, I loved it. And I used to love going to zoos a lot as a kid. Um, I started keeping reptiles at home very young as well from about five onwards. And as I've gotten older, the, my main appreciation for reptiles is seeing them out in the wild. And that's something particularly in the last, say, 10 years has been a real focus of mine. I, I feel like as good as it is working with them at the park or even keeping them at home, there's something incredible about finding a rare species out in the wild or just seeing, you know, common species even. And um, we're very lucky to be surrounded in Australia by over a thousand different reptile species. Um, But not just here in Australia. I've travelled other parts of the world, Asia and the States, Europe, looking for reptiles. And yeah, I guess you appreciate them more when you see them in the wild particularly if you work with those species when you see them out in the wild and you go wow this is this is it and this is what we need to try and replicate back at the park.
0: So how did you take this love and passion for reptiles and animals and decide it was going to be a career for you?
1: Yeah interesting turn of events I was, I, I left school and I actually started studying to become a, a police officer of all things I, I, I was kind of led into that by other people and Well, not so much other people, but I was kind of headed in that direction because people thought I'd be a great cop uh, or great policeman. But I I realized very quickly that it probably wasn't the path I wanted to follow because I wasn't very, I wasn't passionate about it. And then uh, I was traveling through Europe and I was really, I just got this bug to go back and put everything into becoming a zookeeper. And you kind of think, is it like a real job? Like, you know, you hear people (laughs) talk about it, you see it in movies. And then, and then I had my first day and I actually started as a volunteer at Taronga Zoo in Sydney and I remember I left my first day and I called my parents straight away and I said I'll do this forever this is better than anything and I kind of just
2: elevated from there. Oh wow so is that a common way for people to get into it and um, start as sort of a volunteer learn a bit about the zoo and then potentially go full-time or do you need some education behind it? It is different in Australia to
1: other parts of the world, in particular America. So you, you won't really get a zookeeping role without a bachelor degree in, in America. So it is much tougher over there. Um, I think it could be similar in parts of Europe as well. In Australia, it's, it's look, it is beneficial to go down through the tertiary kind of education path because it can open up so many more opportunities for you to, ex, to expand on that kind of zookeeping career, I guess, it, particularly if you wanted to head into the conservation field. Uh, I there's a TAFE course requirement that you can do um, in Australia called Certificate 3 Captive Animal Studies. And that course is really based around being a zookeeper, that you couldn't really use it for much else. And I think that's very beneficial and everyone should do that. But I was lucky to actually study that when I was already working as a zookeeper, which made things a lot easier for me, knowing that I was already working in the career and studying in for the career that I was currently you know, that was my field of work. Yeah. So I just made things very easy. Um, but in saying that, if I could go back in time, I would have loved to have probably knocked out a degree first uh, and then entered the zookeeping field. Now I'm a little bit older now, and I've got things are a little bit different. Um, my priorities are a little bit different, of course, and I'm already achieving you know, good things anyway. But yeah, I really do wish I, I went to university straight out of school. Uh, I didn't waste those few years trying to get into the police force and went down that path. And that would have helped me, I think, particularly when you start looking at conservation projects. I think having that research background behind you definitely would aid you in that aspect.
2: Okay, that's good to know. And what about um, your knowledge for reptiles? Did you just sort of learn that at home, uh, you know, self-taught? Or was it a lot more when you were on the job? I find at work, you're always so busy. It's hard
1: to take everything in. When it it comes to animal behaviour, that's all on the job. And that just takes time, being able to read and understand when an animal's sick in particular, because that's probably the most important thing that you'll need to identify. Um, but outside of that, in terms of animal knowledge, I have a nice library at home full of books. Um, I'm very passionate about reading because I feel like sometimes, particularly as you get a bit older, things go in and other stuff goes straight out. So you need to keep reading to keep on top of things. <laughs> um, and reptile the, reptile books, books about herpetofauna, reptiles and amphibians, they're so vast it's just you know even at work we have a giant library which we can take books home from anytime and uh, you know, i sp- primarily spend money on books rather than clothes and i love it because you don't need to read the whole book but you find something that you're interested in that one night and you go into that and get deep into that and then you might change to another book and uh, you know go from lizards or turtles or medical books or and just keep moving around and i always teach to say to the young guys as well that you should be reading every night because if you are, you're just going to continually be gaining more knowledge, particularly about the animals that you work with. And there's so many things that you might read in a book and you go, hang on, I might try that um, with with animals. And just like one example would be, and this is when I was working with birds, I was having trouble getting gang gang cockatoos to breed, which is a beautiful cockatoo species that we have in Australia. I read a book about black cockatoos and there was this little tip about fit- um, just attaching bits of Oregon a type of wood to the top of their nest box and it makes them chew through it now we did that and about a week later they started nesting so oh, wow, it's that's amazing so cool. what you can yes it's incredible what you can pick up from text particularly for people that have been working in the same field for a very long time
2: oh wow that's that's pretty good I'm gonna have to start putting <laughs> some miles I mean. um, yeah. <laughs> um you've just spoken a little bit about conservation how important is it as a for you as a zookeeper to be doing conservation, what is it you do from a zoo to help conserve the wildlife? I'm very lucky. I, I work in a private facility,
1: the Australian Reptile Park, but we have a really large not-for-profit organisation called Aussie Now, Aussie originally started working with Tasmanian devils about 13 years ago. It's now expanded into a plethora of different species: eastern quolls, long-nosed potoroo, uh, and for me, four years ago, we wanted to head down a reptile conservation project Um, I'm very passionate about the conservation of freshwater turtles Australian freshwater turtles in particular Uh, and we started working with the Department of Primary Industry in Australia which is a government organization and also Western Sydney University on a joint project for the Manning River Turtle and the conservation of the Manning River turtle. so we established a uh, captive insurance population where we collected a few founder adult specimens from the wild But on top of that too, we've been very lucky in the last seven months to hatch out over 21, and these are endangered turtles, by the way, uh, and we've raised them for the last seven months, and soon they're going to be released back into the rivers that they were collected from, which I think is really incredible because there's no doubt in my mind, seeing the conditions that they were rescued from, that they probably wouldn't have survived. So um, one nest site was being protected by landowners, which was incredible, but we decided to remove those eggs, put them in an incubator, start them and release them back into the wild. And I think that's, as a zookeeper, you can go through your whole career and maybe never get to reach those heights. But these days, it's so important. You can't just it's like when we talk about landowners, you can't just be a landowner anymore. You've got to be doing something with your property, you know, whether it's uh, uh, maintaining, keeping pests away or encouraging native wildlife. And I think it's the same for zookeepers too. If you're, you know, if you're just in it for the Instagram post or or something, you're in it for the wrong reasons. And I know in, uh, social media is a big thing and I, I've been in social media for a long time and I get that. Um, but I think you have to be giving back to wildlife uh, and, you've got to kind of like, look what Steve did. Everything that Steve Irwin did, he just put it all back into wildlife conservation. And I think if we can all do our little bits as zookeepers and then impact these animals out in the wild, then the animals that are giving us so much joy at work, at least we're repaying that by helping their wild relatives.
0: I think that's, that's fantastic and it's such a uh, a great thing to dedicate your life to. I think I saw recently um, talking about Tasmanian Devils. They reintroduced Tasmanian Devils to mainland Australia for the first time in thousands of years or something through a conservation project. So, uh, I mean, it does amazing things, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that was Aussie So that's our not-for- oh, wow. not-for-profit not organization that did that, which is, you know, incredible. And, and the fact that that, you know, has been received right around the world. It just goes to show the incredible things that Aussie art can do. Um, And I said, it is a private organization. We've got a fairly small team, to be honest, but a very dedicated, passionate team. And when you have that combination, uh, you can really do good things.
0: I think sometimes zoos can get a bit of a bad rap um, and unfairly. So, because there's so much work you guys do, uh, you know, conservation efforts and you work with zoos all around the world, right?
1: Exactly. And the thing with zoos is sometimes I can be a bit negative about zoos at times because I have the highest. I want to have the highest standards. We look after animals and we should provide them with the highest possible standards. And unfortunately, there is zoos around the world that can't provide that. Um, and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And unfortunately, to this day, we still see there's things that I can't look at because I see photos and I think oh wow you know we need to be past those methods we need to be doing so much more it's not um playing you know like you've got you know your sims version of zoos where you just want to pick a few animals and show them off to a few people we've got to be past that you know being an educational facility and an organization that contributes to conservation um it's so much bigger than just having three lines in a pen Uh, so yes zoos do cop a bad rap but in saying that though there is a lot of really positive support of zoos right around the world too, which is, which is good. Uh, and I think as long as we keep reaching for the, stars, for the stars and the skies and making sure that we're ahead of the game and not behind it, particularly with our animal welfare animal welfare i know it's a weird little term but that has to be first you know and and if you can provide the best possible animal care uh and then at the same time engage people with these animals so they actually walk away and they want to do something to save them out in the wild and then through your profits whether you're a private institution or a government institution then contribute to active in situ or ex-situ conservation projects then you know, you can walk with your head held high. And I think we just need to keep aiming for the top because we're in a world where it's very easy to be a critic and we will be under the spotlight. You know, we've seen the spotlight that places like SeaWorld have been under for a very long time uh, and that will only grow. And, and a lot of people don't like the idea of animals in captivity, but zoos have provided a safe haven for some of these animals that do not have anywhere to go. But also too, there's been some incredible conservation projects run by zoos that have helped save species
2: and what about educating people about the animals studying animals whilst they're in captivity is that is that a big thing the zoos do
1: definitely i see when i on the weekends i'll go out look for animals wild animals most people don't want to walk around a bush for five hours and maybe see a koala (laughs) they would much rather drive 20 minutes Go to the reptile park or any zoo, Taronga, whatever. See a koala within five minutes. Perfect. Most people will prefer that of the two options. Zoos can provide that. But also, too, what they want to be sending home is this message of, hey, listen, we're in Australia. Our most iconic animal is the koala. It's one of the most iconic animals found on the planet. And by 2050, they may be functionally extinct. That has to be important and that message has to hit home because I just think of like future generations that will not be able to see some of the amazing things I've been able to see. Imagine what our parents and their grandparents saw, um, just how beautiful this country would have been once upon a time.
0: I think uh, doing this podcast, and um, we've had a, a zoologist and a conservationist on uh, previously and the thing I've been continually shocked by is the fact that we're still doing this to the world and we're still losing species at such an alarming rate whereas i think jules our generation it always seems like okay we're doing good things now we're getting there we're we're making it better but we're actually not yet are we
1: we're very much behind the eight ball and and i think that's the problem is i know we climate change was a really big push um, about 12 months ago and you know it was news almost every single day but because there's so much going on in the world uh coronavirus you think of australia we had bushfires then coronavirus it's 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 really hard and it's a hard sell to people and a lot of people don't believe it a lot of people don't believe the world's changing as rapidly as most scientists seem to think um, but outside of that too we are losing species and habitat every day and that's the hard sell i think uh, also too when you when you talk about you know, there's people losing jobs all around the world. There's people losing their lives all around the world. And then, then you want to go talk to them about the fact that some small brown frog that no one's heard of before is going to go extinct. It's a bit of a hard sell compared to um, those first two things I mentioned. So I guess it's, it, it's, it's getting better. I think David Attenborough has been wonderful for that, particularly in the last two years with some of his documentaries. People's eyes are starting to open. And the key to this is, Not everyone has to wake up tomorrow and decide to be vegan and never have a kid anymore, but it's, it's about living sustainably. So just make those small changes in your life and it will make a difference.
0: I guess it just blows my mind that we know we're destroying something and we kind of carry on as normal, but it's the way of the world, unfortunately. Um, I think, I think the main thing for me with, with zoos, just going back to the, uh, you know, some people question their ethical nature, but, for me, the only thing I ever find a bit disconcerting is when you see maybe a lion or a tiger in a small enclosure. I, I think in the UK, we have quite a few safari parks and there's, you know, lions and prides that have huge paddocks to walk around. Um, I think that's, that's you know, good. But I do struggle when it's the large animals in captivity. Do you, do you sort of see what I mean? Uh,
1: yeah, 100% and I'll, I'll be the first person to say that I believe, you know, large ungulates, elephants, um, and giraffe, et cetera. Um, big cats need to be in large areas and displayed how they would be seen uh, in the wild. And that might be a bit hypocritical because we keep, you know, sometimes snakes in small exhibits, but, you know, obviously if I had it my way, it, w- it wouldn't always be the case. Some things were built long time ago and you can't change everything in a week, but we are heading in that direction, but I can see where you're coming from. And to be honest, I do agree with that. Um, there's sometimes you walk past and you think that's far too small for that particular species. Uh, and, and I guess that's what we need to head away from. and. Uh, I guess the biggest problem with a lot of zoos now is a lot of zoos are aging, you know, they might've been built in the fifties and our methods have certainly changed, but not so much the size of the exhibits, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I definitely think we've got to continue to move forward. And I think if you go to a safari park and you've got a couple, a, a herd of elephants and the whole range of giraffe, it just has this beautiful view about it. And most, mm-hmm. a lot of people will ne- never be able to afford to get to Africa. That is their taste of Africa. And I guess it's much better than what you're saying. you walk past a tiger exhibit that's quite tiny and you do see that. And I'm not trying to p- pick on um, Asia in particular, but I have seen many, many photos that I don't agree with come from that part of the world. Mm,
0: it's, it's such a difficult balance, isn't it? Cause then you talk about, you know, maybe they are doing breeding programs and they're actually trying to save the species, but it, it's a really difficult balance.
1: It is. It is. And I guess that's why we need to make sure at least if we provide what people see as the highest possible standards and and you know, like you, you always know what, if you're giving your all Um, and I guess we'll always be judged on our weakest link. So it's about trying to lift the standards, not not only of your own zoo, but zoos in general, we're very lucky in Australia because we, you can't get away with much in this country. It's very, very difficult. Um, We're so critical of each other uh, and I'm my own biggest critic and I'm our own sections of my department's biggest critic. And I constantly want to change things and improve things. And and my management, the management team at the Reptile Park are so supportive of that. And my team is so supportive of that, which is great. But you won't always work in places that work like that. Mm. And that's a bit of a shame.
0: So as a zookeeper, what is an average day?
1: <laughs> it's true. You do pick up a lot of poo. No, it's... Um, <laughs> Generally, husbandry makes up the majority of my day. A lot of people management as well, uh, particularly working with young guys and people coming through um, your department or the zoo in itself. But a lot of husbandry, still feeding a lot of animals. Uh, The main thing I do is I try and just walk around and observe things. Because I'm in a management role, obviously my role is to make sure the guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing. But I can see things that, they might not be able to see because they haven't had years of experience, but also um yeah, some of my guys I work with are just incredible, incredible guys. And they, they work so hard and just to be there to help them, uh, you know, if they want to do a, maybe change a feeding regime or do some exhibit design. And I guess a day to day would just be feeding uh, a lot of cleaning, uh, a lot of talks, demonstrations to make up a big part of our day as well. And then, yeah, spending time with the guys and, uh, talking to them about reptiles. And that's basically how we spend most days. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. There are some days that are certainly stressful. I think the hardest thing about being a zookeeper is, is, is dealing with death, uh, animal death. It's something that I've never really gotten better at. Uh, most of my team are like me. We're all pretty sensitive guys. So I keep saying guys because most of my team is male team members. But we're all quite sensitive. So when an animal passes away... It, it, we all take it to heart and I think I've never gotten better at that and I don't think I ever will. I'm, I just think it hits me hard, hard when I, when something goes wrong, particularly if I feel like I've been partly responsible, which most of the time you're not, but you still take it home with you. Uh, and yeah, I guess that's all part of it. The other side of being a zookeeper that people probably don't understand is the sacrifice. The sacrifice of working long hours, um, working for free at times, knowing that, in terms of pay scale, usually people that work in animal care industry, you don't generally get paid as well as others considering the hours of work that you might put in, but it's all worth it. And I'm very lucky. I get very well looked after by the reptile park and I'm so appreciative to have them uh, and to be a part of that team. But, you know, I've worked with people that have got to 33, 34 years of age. They're the most passionate animal people, but they've simply had to leave the industry because they want to have a family and they can't afford to survive off the money they're getting paid. And I think that is one of the sadder sadder parts of it. I've seen a lot of good zookeepers leave, particularly at my age, in that kind of early 30 mark, once they start having children or want to do that, that they leave the industry and go get a trade because they want to earn more money because those opportunities just are not provided as much in the industry. And I hope that's something that over the next decade we get much better at.
0: And I guess it's not really an office-based job as such. You know, you're, you're at the reptile park every day. Are, are there opportunities to go out into the wild and, and do a bit of conservation while you're a zookeeper?
1: Definitely. And particularly if you um, engage in conservation projects, we spend a lot of time out in the wild, whether it's surveying for turtles or particularly at Aussie Ark, which is, you know, our sanctuary. But yeah, we, we've had a lot of opportunity. Well, for example, for the last four years, uh, work have sent me to the Northern Territory which I love. I love the Northern Territory, beautiful part of Australia, just looking for reptiles. So not for a science reason, not to bring animals back to the park or anything like just for me to experience that country and seeing the animals there and then bringing that knowledge experience and those kind of stories back to the park and that appreciation for, uh, wildlife. So for an example, we work with a snake at the park, which is called an Owen pelly Python, quite a rare Python, probably Australia's rarest. We went up to the Northern Territory just to go see that snake in the wild. And just the, the night we observed it and found it and saw it up in a, up in a tree, it just made me love our Owen Pelly Pythons at work so much more. So Reptile Park encouraged that because it does make you a better keeper. Uh, and I know a lot of other institutions do that as well, whether they're engaging with their conservation projects or just field-based research uh, research but there's also a lot of opportunities to do that voluntarily as well Uh, university students are always looking for keen volunteers to join them on surveys and studies and I've been lucky to do a number of those in particular with turtle species as well and that's a great experience to see how the academics work and what comes out of that in terms of
2: research is there much um, admin work that you have to do uh, for the animals
1: yeah, there is, <laughs> and, and, and usually you're doing it at home when you're in bed because you're trying to catch up. Uh, there's a there's a lot more than people would realise, particularly in records. Trying to keep records for the animals that you keep, um, communication such a big thing too. When you work in a dynamic place, you need to make sure the communication's strong. So I feel like emails takes up a lot of my time which <laughs> i'm not an office person at all i like reading uh, but i certainly don't like sitting on a computer because it takes me forever to type um, <laughs> so i just want someone to take over that part of my job for me but yeah i do spend quite a bit of time in the office and more time than i'd like i'd much rather be out in the park telling stories about you know catching crocodiles with some visitors and stuff like that than standing sitting on a computer writing swps but I guess that's all part of it as well. And particularly as you you know, go up the ladder, you find you're in the office a lot more than when you start as an entry-level zookeeper where mainly you're just literally just doing the good stuff. And every now and then, I'll give one of the boys a tap on the shoulder and say, no, I'm feeding the snakes today because I need to do it because I miss it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, what would be some of the personality traits that you see in uh, yourself and your peers around you that you, um, you think help you thrive?
1: I think just in, if I just use my department as an example, all the guys I work with are very passionate, gen, just generally passionate people. They, they're inspired by their work and they're inspired by the animals that they work with, particularly the reptile guys. They just love it. They live for it. They talk about reptiles all the time and um, you can't really fake that. It would be really hard to be in my department and fake it because you just stand out like a sore thumb because the guys in my group are just just like that naturally. They all love reptiles. And we, I was just before we got onto this, uh, zoom chat, I was on podcast. I was literally talking to one of the guys about a baby skink that we bred for the first time in a couple of years. And we've been talking about it all afternoon because it's just so exciting. You can't fake that. So I think that's probably the common trait is that that genuine passion for reptiles.
0: Oh, I'm incredibly jealous of your job already, to
1: be honest. It sounds fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as its moments don't worry about that
0: um so what are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've had out of this job
1: i've been i've been lucky to travel um i've traveled a number of times northern territory which i mentioned before uh last time i visited the united states i got to travel right from california all the way across to, across to florida uh, i met many zookeepers many herpetologists reptile people and they welcomed me with open arms so outside of that probably one of the other things that people do appreciate or particularly my family is I've got to do a lot of TV. I've been on television a lot over the years. Uh, My family love it much more than I do because they get to see (laughs) me on the telly. I've met some incredibly famous people, which is probably something that's a a bit of a, bit of a weird part of it, but you do along the years meet a lot of famous people either coming to the zoo or, or on television in particular. Um, But probably overall, the biggest thing that it's given me is probably the last few years starting a conservation project because the fulfillment out of that. um, And that was with Tim, who's our general manager, Tim Faulkner. And he was also conservationist of the year in 2015 in Australia. He's an incredible guy. We wanted to start this conservation project for turtles. It's very hard to get any project off the ground and to see that come to fruition and know that very soon we'll be releasing hatchling turtles into a river system that they, you know that their numbers are certainly in decline. In it's that's probably the biggest reward that I've got out of zoo keeping in general. Like, no, I love my job. Um, I've got to, as I said, meet great people, travel around the world, all those kind of things. But the biggest thing for me is giving back. Finally, um, and it takes time, but I feel like this is my way of saying, "Well, animals, you've given me so much joy and so much fulfillment." In particular, last ten years, I'm hoping this is my give back to you
2: and you've uh, you've sort of touched on it already but what would be some of the less favorable or negative aspects of the uh, the job i find uh
1: a lot of people would agree on this the the financial side of things can make things very very difficult uh it's a bit understated particularly when you want to buy a house and all those kind of things um now the pay scale obviously i'm going to talk in australian dollars but you know i, I know people that were working for forty five thousand dollars australian working 60 plus hours a week so you know you're talking very very minimal money in terms of your output for the hours that you put in that's so about twenty
0: thousand finance... pounds for the uk listeners
1: yeah so and it, it and you're working well overtime for that as well so it's it's one of those things that's probably a bit understated i i, I feel as an industry we need to make sure we continue to look after our staff retain our staff Keep good staff, and the way to do that is by helping them out financially. And I really hope we do head in that direction and make sure we look out for our staff. On top of that, too, when you're working so much and you put so much in, sometimes it leaves very little time for external, and that could be friends, family, partners. And sometimes, and even I've done it. I've done it. I can admit I've done it. Where I've people haven't heard from me for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end because I've just been so busy. I'm just so engulfed in what I'm doing with work that I don't think about other things. Um, It can affect relationships because they don't understand why you stay back to work late again and again and again. But you have to because they're just so important to you, those animals. And it's not to say your partner or your family is not just as important, but there's something about caring for animals that just is all-consuming. So I feel like there's two things that the financial aspect can make things difficult. Um, I'm not really in that position, but I was four or five years ago. So I I do still understand it. But outside of that too, I feel like sometimes relationships suffer because you're putting so much in to your career. And I'm sure that's very common in a lot of career focused people. Um, But when I was trying to explain it to someone the other day in just a brief chat, I said, at the end of the day, if you're working and you don't send a press release out, It doesn't really matter. You send it out the next day. Nothing's going to die. Whereas for us, the zookeepers, if you don't feed this animal or give this animal water or do something, it could possibly die. So you can't leave until it's all done. And that's basically how it works. So, yeah, I wouldn't say they're negatives really because, you know, you can work past them, but they're definitely two areas that I think we all need to be better at. And I think business owners, so zoo owners, whether it's government or private, need to make sure they look after their staff better need to make sure they still have time to be away on the weekend and turn off and spend time with their family and all those kind of things. But also to continually uh, provide opportunities for your staff to grow in a financial aspect. Don't just pigeonhole them as you're a zookeeper. This is the money you're going to be on for the rest of your life because they will leave. And then you're going to have to get someone else that's new and train them all over again and go backwards and, and then complain about it for the next five years. And then they leave. So it's it doesn't really work and I hope as an industry that's something that we really and I'm very lucky to work in a park that is like that um that heads in that direction where they do reward their staff financially a little bit better than maybe it has been in the past
2: yeah that's good and also with the opportunities they've given you to go up north and things like that so that is really good um the park you're working with by the sounds of it um what would be something that's not in the job description that you have to deal with every now and then or quite often I guess
1: um, sometimes you will be exposed to negativity with um, people that are very critical of zoos, especially if you um, have, if you're into social media and stuff like that, you really do expose yourself to, to, to criticism. And um, I'm not the kind of person that really likes to hear bad things, particularly said about me. And uh, because I'm a bit of a sensitive guy, I do take them to heart a little bit and that's not something you probably expect. Um, but I guess not in the job description. Uh, Probably what is always forgotten and, and it's something that we don't need to get better at again, is you don't learn much about people management when you're doing your TAFE course. You certainly don't learn much about it if you're doing your, zoo, your, your university degree. People management is such a big part of zoo keeping, whether that's managing the keepers in your team or the, your volunteers because a lot of zoos have large volunteer um, uh, teams the people management side of things is probably one of the most difficult steps in that in that process. A lot of the people that become zookeepers are real animal-focused people. They don't necessarily have these people skills and you've got to try and learn that. And I find a lot of people really, really struggle. They might be wonderful with the animals, but they really can't talk to people. Um, so I guess that's probably one of the things that you don't really think about is the people management side of things in zoos is massive and it would take up at least 75% of my time. I'd much rather it be... 10% of my time and 9% of the time with the animals, but that's simply not the case. I spend so much of my time just talking to staff or coaching staff, teaching staff, you know, telling them, oh, they've got to do this and this and this and this. So, yeah, I think people management is definitely something that I, I wouldn't have expected to be such a high level when I first started volunteering zookeeping. And,
0: Have you got any advice for anyone that is in the industry and wants to progress? I know you've got an amazing uh, social media, Instagram page, loads of great content on there. Has that helped you with your progression in the industry?
1: Possibly to a small degree. Um, I'm very lucky. uh, I said this the other day to someone, and I can't remember how it came up, but I was so glad that I I, I was already a zookeeper before social media really became this big thing because I feel like, Yeah, Some people now, maybe that's the reason they're into it a little bit too much, Um, but I I would never be critical of someone using social media because I've definitely done it and I've definitely used it for my own advantage. It's definitely helped me grow and um, be more recognised to a degree and and enabled me to go meet other people around the world because they know me through social media and also television in particular in Australia. That definitely has helped me. Um, Whether whether it can help you day to day in terms of growing as a keeper, probably not. What will help you is by making sure that you are extremely passionate and dedicated, but networking, networking is such a key to this industry. And some people will network through social media. There's no doubt about it. But before social media, I used to just go to lots of zoos, meet lots of people, always shake hands with the bosses, go meet the other reptile keepers. All the main reptile keepers for the around the country, um, all people in my roles, we're all very, very good friends. We go on holidays together. We're all in you know, messenger chats with each other where we constantly talk. Networking is definitely something that I think is very, very important. Uh, I remember an old boss said to me once, it's not who you know, who knows. it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And I think that's very true in the industry. If you get your name out there and people remember you because they they saw you at the park and they they remembered how passionately you spoke about blue tongues and they thought... Yep, I remember you. I'm going to give you a job. So if there's any young people or middle aged, whatever, whatever age group, just get yourself out there. Go visit heaps of zoos. The best thing about visiting different facilities, you might actually pick up a handful of things that you would like to do back at your facility. But just get your name out there. Meet lots of people. Meet like-minded people and just keep working towards that, that zoo role.
0: Have you got any advice to somebody listening to this and thinking, do you know what, I really I want to be a zookeeper. This is for me. What's the best steps to, uh, to get into it?
1: Find out what the prerequisite course is for the, for the study in your country that's relevant to the area you might live in. So whether that's a bachelor degree or uh, a, a, you know, a, a diploma, whatever, whatever course you need to to get in and then start volunteering. Most facilities around the world have volunteer programs. And if you become a volunteer, the reason I got the job ahead of other people is because when the zoo was opening, I was the first one waiting at the gate to get inside because I just wanted to be there. It was the same at the end of the day. I was the last person to leave. I wanted to be around the keepers. I wanted to be around the animals for as long as I possibly can. So just be driven. Every single day that you go to work is your own job interview and you should treat it that way. There's a lot of keepers and they turn up and I'll ask them, oh, so you so you like animals and like this, and they're like, oh, sort of. And you think, well, I'm probably not going to give you a job, am I? Be that dedicated, passionate person uh, and really always try as, as much as you can, particularly when you're first starting out, to just show that, one, you've got half a brain, because that is very important, but also, <laughs> two, that you really want to be there. It's something that is so under... like Show that you want to be there. Don't just turn up. Turning up's not enough look like you're enjoying yourself look like you want to be a sponge and take in the information don't spend your lunch breaks sitting there talking about what you did on the weekend go grab a textbook out of the book and go hustle the keeper and ask him why does the you know why does the crocodile spend half the time in the water and a few hours out of the water every day you want ask the why questions cuz they're so important and if you do those things you're going to stand out and when you look at the people next to you and around you it's just like anything at the end of the day, it's, it it is a competition. You want to be the best. So put your best foot forward every day. And I think that's the biggest thing when you, every single day you go into work, particularly as a volunteer, when you're trying to earn your stripes, just show that you really want to be there.
2: And uh, would you still go into the industry knowing everything you know now?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Has it been easy? No, has it definitely not. Not as easy. I thought the hardest thing for me again is dealing with, Uh, I've had a few animals pass away over the years and it's something that I probably will never get good at. Um, And some I've I've, I've had friends that have left the industry for that reason, because they can't deal with losing animals in particular. They just take it to heart and they've had to leave. And I I understand that completely because I'm a little bit like that, but I couldn't, I wouldn't change any part of my life in particular, my work life for anything in the world. I love it. I love the industry. I'm very passionate about, not just my park but the industry as a whole and my reptile park are very supportive of my role in the industry as well so yeah no i wouldn't i wouldn't change it for the world like i love it there's only one the one thing i love more and that's spending time with my dog but outside of that being at the reptile park and just i'm so lucky you know i i'm gonna wait, go to bed tonight i wake up tomorrow the first thing i'm gonna see is a galapagos tortoise like how does that even happen how that good is, cool.
0: is that yeah that is cool um listen thank you so much for coming on dan it's been a real pleasure to chat with someone who's so passionate about what they do um wish you the best of luck going forward
1: thank you so much thanks for having me on and as i said if anyone wants to be a zookeeper do it because you will not regret it i promise you that
2: thank you so much oh where can people find you on social media
1: uh, my so my social media page is zookeeper underscore dan so yeah feel free to give it a follow brilliant
2: thank brilliant. you very thank much you, dan
1: cheers thanks guys